Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today, I think we've got an important conversation. It's at least insightful, I think, for a lot of folks. We're calling this the four huge mistakes schools made over the years. And I'm, I'm thinking there's probably a lot of teachers out there who are like, I can name 12 huge mistakes, you <laughs> or know. 1,200, yeah. But what yeah. we're really tapping into is the idea that almost all of the things that are a part of our normal everyday life, the routines and traditions yeah. that we have, started historically with a very intentional purpose. In other words, there was yes. a really good and purposeful beginning to most of the things that we're dealing with. The question is, have they maintained that good and purposeful um, reality over time? And a lot of things haven't. Well, yeah, because culture changes. Absolutely. So um, it's important for us all to remember a little bit of what you just said. Every decision that was made was a good idea in the beginning. Yeah. Every decision. Now, as times change, schools change, people change, et cetera, et cetera, we start realizing, wow, we're not getting to that same goal, but we keep doing the same thing. Yeah. So this, is, this conversation is all about what's going on right now that was a good decision when it was made, but may not be a good decision now. Maybe we need to tweak it. Absolutely. Well, I know you want to go through a couple of realities. Yeah. I thought I'd throw just a really quick one out there, right? Okay. Here's a really good example of this. The, the bell that transitions classrooms in school, right? Yeah. Um, you may ask the question, where did that bell come from? Yeah. Well, if you go back in history, what you find is that was introduced during the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. And what they were trying to do was get kids ready to work in a factory. They were going to hear that same whistle or bell yeah. uh, when they got to their factory life. And so mm -hmm. they were mentally preparing kids yeah. for that reality. Now, does that make the bell bad now? No. But it does mean that it was a, a relic from a yeah. past time that had a very specific and important purpose at that time yeah. and now has slipped into the... the realm of tradition rather yeah. than purposeful. We just perpetuate it. No kid I know of is going to graduate high school. I'm just looking forward to a job that starts with a bell. I know. Nobody's saying that right now. Yeah. yeah. But it's just, that's just one of the realities. I wonder if you could walk us yeah. through a couple yeah. of well, other ones. Well, a few others. Uh, parenting itself uh, has gone through a, an incredible evolution. We are now so safety conscious. Now, I think parents all down through history have always wanted their kids safe, but it's such a priority now that we've removed some of the rites of passages yeah. that normally help kids grow up and mature. A um, hundred years ago, the term adolescence had just been invented. Yeah, You were either a child or a young adult. And, and now we're having, the, there's a stage in between. That's not wrong, but let me tell you what happened. So long time ago, like a hundred years ago, four-year-old children were doing chores, age-appropriate chores around the house. By seven, you were working on the farm. Somewhere between nine and 11 year old, year old, years old, you were actually leading one of the tasks on the farm. Yeah. By 14, you're driving a car. By 17, you're fighting World War I. You yeah. Know? So um, I'm not saying that's all good and we need to go back to that. By the way, at 19, you were probably married and having babies. Yeah. So I'm not saying we need to go back and do that. I'm just saying, look how life has changed. Yeah. Is it better or worse? Well, it's both, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So today, we've been so safety conscious, we've removed monkey bars from the from the playground or or whatever and you know put helmets on them at dinner time. I always joke about that. It's not dinner time, but... But now, some of the kids that we work with, many, maybe millions of kids today, experience what I call artificial maturity. Mm -hmm. It looks like maturity, but it's artificial. Not, and it's not their fault. It's our fault because of the way we've led them. So my, my premise is that when a child is overexposed to information, 
earlier than they're ready, and that's kids today, but underexposed to firsthand experiences later than they're ready. They're not doing chores at four years old. In fact, they may not be doing chores as a teenager. Yeah. They're not even ready for the adult world where they will be working. Although, I mean, unless you're a very novel person, you're going to have to be working a job. So things changed. We raised them safer. More are living, but more are unready for the world that they're about to graduate into. Yeah, and what I saw as the theme there is increasingly over time, we lowered our expectations. Yes. Yeah. We lowered our expectations for them. They, in turn, lowered their expectations for themselves, yeah, right? that's exactly right. They would, none of them would think at 17 or 19 years old, I was ready for a huge adult situation. Yeah. But 100 years ago, you would have been, right? Yeah. And the only difference is in how we we're raising our kids. And like you said, we don't need to go back in time to an, uh, another era. We do need to acknowledge that with they're capable of. I no doubt that. about it. So I'm smiling right now thinking about the monkey bars I just mentioned a minute ago. Mm -hmm. So many playgrounds are getting those removed. Andrew, we have both looked at a photograph, have we not? Yes. Of the monkey bars a hundred years ago. Folks, they were three stories high. Yeah, 30 you, feet. 30 feet in the air. And there's kids on top of them, standing up on top of yep. them. And I, you know, I, I always think it's no wonder we won World War I. We'd been to recess. Maybe, yeah. you know? <laughs> but the point is... That all changed because that looked dangerous. It was really dangerous. And of course it was. But again, we always need to know there's a trade-off going on when we make a decision. Yeah. And we need to know how we're going to make up for that decision yep. long term when the, when the downside comes up. Adults had decided they wanted kids to navigate risk on the monkey bars rather than navigate risk for the first time in adulthood. Yeah. And I think that was a trade-off that they were willing to make that we may not be willing to make anymore. But anyways, right. yeah. I, I wanted you to talk about where you kind of got inspired because we're going to go into the four big mistakes that you see us making in our educational yeah. system. But I know this all came from a conversation that you had. Yeah. I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, so not long ago, I sat in a well-lit room uh, full of colorful posters. It was a school bu building. Uh, and 12 people from four different generations. And our conversation was just reminiscing about our lives and all the changes that have happened. Yeah. But when we got onto the topic of education, the conversation became as colorful as the posters in the room. Okay, can I just say that? <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't negative. It was just, oh my gosh. Like, for instance, the, the builder generation, these people were in their 80s and, well, yeah, in their 80s mostly, um, spoke about the freedom that they enjoyed as children. I mean, they went to school for sure, but, all, but although some of them said eighth grade education was when you got done. You know, that was, isn't that amazing? Yeah. You got done in eighth because you're working a job yeah. or you're working on the farm or whatever. Uh, and I'm not pushing for that, but there was a great trade. They were so ready. At 20, they'd had, I don't know, seven Huge years Huge life experience. experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's so true. Um, by the boomers, we still, I'm a boomer, we still had lots of freedoms, but it was being curtailed a little bit. There was more regiments to follow. Yeah. More schedules. Organized activities. On. And yes, organized activities. That's right. But I, but I remember riding my bike to the shopping mall, uh, going on a date on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, Gen Z, did you know there's a trend? Gen Z's going out on dates with their parents now. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying. That's, or not going on a date at all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, just dating on the phone or yeah. whatever. Uh, so by the Xers, we began to notice in the conversation, the Xers in the room started talking about the schedules that were part of their experience in the 19, let's say 1980, 81. And then by the millennials, millennials and Gen Z both say it's regimented. There was a clear schedule and I did very little on my own without adult supervision. Mm -hmm. So upside and downside, do adults do a good job? Usually they do. 
Usually they do. But boy, when we don't let kids grow up and mature, there's a downside to this decision we just made. Absolutely. Well, these transitions have happened. They've adjusted and sort of, I might even use the word warped our world and our sensibilities about what should and shouldn't happen. So let's dig in. I know we don't have a ton of time to spend on this because we want to talk about what do we do? How do we right the ship, so to speak? But I want you to walk through these four big errors that we've made and kind of uh, help us understand them. All right. So these four words I'm about to give you listeners are all words that rhyme. You'll be able to remember them, but I think you're going to see rapidly. Yep. I remember that happened and I see now the downside of that decision. So uh, four errors. Number one, we organized. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with organization. In fact, I think to get anything done, you kind of need to be organized. Yes. But boy, do we take that to the nth degree. Uh, today's children have become used to adults organizing nearly every aspect of their lives, from school schedules to after-school activities. Uh, few students practice metacognition. They're not on their own. We're going to tell them how to think, what to think. Here's the assignment. Here's the four steps to take. Here's how to get ready for the final. We so lay it out. We so organize it. They're going... I now need an adult to organize this for me. Yes. I've never done this on my own. I've never resolved a conflict on my own. Uh, I tell this story kind of um, tongue-in-cheek, but, um, I mean, back in the day, we could hardly wait to get out to that big field in the back of our house and choose sides and play pickup baseball, and we umpired our own games, and we, we organized the whole thing. It was kids. Today, if the kids are outside at all, they might be inside in front of a screen, but if they're outside at all, there's four moms out there doing the conflict resolution for them. Yeah. So again, it's just, well, it's just a downside. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So that's number one, we organized. Mm-hmm. Number two, we supervised. So not only is the schedule laid out for them, but we stand over them. Maybe not literally stand over, but um, today's young people are the most supervised generation in American history. Um, I often use the phrase, we've prepared the path for the child instead of the child for the path. Yes. This is what I mean by supervising. So um, one of my favorite books in 2018 that I read was a book by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt called The Coddling of the American Mind. And they offer great insight into students today from a social science point of view. Uh, parents and schools have removed many of the traditional risks that uh, ki- prepared kids um, in the past for, and it's all in the name of safety, like we just mentioned a minute yeah. ago. The unintended consequence for millions of these kids is that they become risk averse. Yes. And, and it's just something we don't want, but it happens at 25 or 30 because they've never really taken a big risk before. Mm-hmm. That's Number huge. three, the third one, we standardized. So any educator listening knows that word. Uh, so we decided we offer standardized tests. There's, there's plateaus or echelons or standards we wanted them to meet. And so we have standardized testing. Now, we all, I think we all know why we did that. But boy, there's been a downside. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but the California uh, state school system now is dropping that from, from being mandatory for getting into college, SAT and ACT, because yeah. they're seeing how much downside there are to people of color, to all kinds of demographics that we didn't mean it to happen, but it happened. Yes. So what I mean by this is many admit school is not about learning anymore. Students will say, oh, it's not about learning. It's about getting the grade. Yes. It's about getting the standardized number yep. you want to, and they, and they will, they will play the system. They They've become look, experts at yes, playing the system. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. 
So I, in many ways, they become very smart hackers to the system that they're part of. And you can't blame them. Yeah. If, if the goal is the, if the product is what I'm after, not the process, then I'll do whatever I got to do to get to the product that I Absolutely. want. Absolutely. And uh, of course, we've heard of college admission scandals uh-huh. a year ago or so. And this um, is why kids say, will this be on the test? Yeah, right? yeah, it's so it's true. It's the only yeah. orientation that they have. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the fourth one, the final one, I would say. So again, we organize, we supervise, we standardize. Number four is we monetized. We did. Anytime that Americans get into a place where we can monetize something, we will find a way to make the money. Yep. I just listened to another podcast, a great one, on how the healthcare system's been monetized. Mm-hmm. If it's a pay-for-service, man, doctors will prescribe medicine. They'll see you as often as you, know, you want us because you know, money's to be... I don't blame the doctors. It's the healthcare system we have. But it's just once it got monetized, we're now not doing what's best for the patient and preventing something from going wrong with her health. I'm happy to see you because I get more money, you know, it's just, it's scary. So how, here the, how this happened to an education, we found ways to generate revenue by teaching to the test to get the funding. So Andrew, you and I live in Atlanta. Yep. A few years back, several years ago actually, the worst cheating scandal in American public school history happened right in our city, Atlanta, yep. where teachers were found, and administrators, cheating on the test, erasing the wrong answers those kids had filled in and put the right answers in so those kids would score well so the school would get the funding they wanted. Well, the problem is the school got the funding, but those kids went on without being ready for the next grade. Yep. They didn't know what they somebody got the teaching, wrong answer. Yeah, somebody teaching them went, something has gone horribly wrong yes, here if this kid yes. got through. And I'm yeah. thinking, shame on us as adults. I don't mean that literally. Shame's not a good thing. But just shame on us for money becoming more important than the lives of these human beings that will one day be leading this nation. So uh, anyway, I'll stop there. But those are the four big errors that all were decisions that were made with good intentions in the beginning. Yeah. It made sense to do No Child Left Behind or Race to the Top. All those things made sense. Yes. But money's tied to it. It's our fault. We're people that say, let me, get, let me find a way to get the money. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to repeat those just one more time because I think they're helpful. We organized was number one. We supervised, number two. We standardized number three, and then we monetize, number four. And I think as we think about the solution, like how do we get back from this? We really, what we need fundamentally is a guiding principle, right? And I think the guiding principle for for us is something that we talked about and have been talking about for years, and it's this concept of descriptive versus prescriptive leadership. We we have to shift our mentality, and I, I think that that can kind of be the foundation upon which we talk about where do we go from here. Yeah. So I wonder if you might walk us through that. Yeah, really I'll quick. just take a minute. Um, the difference in my mind between prescriptive and descriptive is this. Prescriptive leadership is, I so want you to get to the right goal. I'll prescribe every step along the way for you, my yeah. child, because I love you. I've decided the goal and that's right. all of that, the that's steps. That's right, that exactly. Need, yeah. That all the steps that need to be taken. Descriptive is where you get with a young person and you say, Let's describe together, but you're going to weigh in on this. Yeah. In fact, I may let you choose it. I know teachers that are letting choose. I know one biology teacher that just said, tell me what you want to learn about biology this year, and I'll teach it, and, and we'll, we'll learn it together. She actually said, we'll learn it together. And she said, what they wanted to learn was exactly what I was hoping to teach, which is so awesome. That is awesome. But descriptive leadership is where you describe together the goal, and then you say, now you tell me what steps you should take 
to get to that goal. Well, they won't know at first because they've not been used to this kind of leadership. But the more we help them get used to, I got to describe a goal and figure out the steps I'm going to take, then we coach them. We're consultants, not commanders. It just works out better in the end for these kids. Mm, that's so good. It's yeah. so good. Well, as with that as our guiding principle, we're thinking descriptive, not prescriptive in our leadership. I know you've got some very practical steps that we can take to start to begin to right the ship, so to yeah. speak, on some of these errors where we may have lost our way. So I wonder if you could walk us through some yeah. of those. Yeah. So I've got 10 practical steps. So if you're in the car, do not write these down. Do not write while you're driving. I repeat. But, yeah. Yes. But I do want to encourage you. You may want to jot them down at some point. Maybe re-listen to this section of the podcast because these are um, some of them are intuitive, some of them are counterintuitive, but I think they help lead a student to get into where they need to go. So number one, Prepare students to discuss and decide on a goal instead of you dispensing of their goal. Yeah. We just mentioned that before, so I won't go on about it, but let them own the goal. Let them weigh in. Maybe you're the biology teacher that says, what do you want to learn about biology? Love it. Number two, instead of grading papers traditionally, communicate how many mistakes were made on the project or an assignment and turn them loose to find each one. So that's like working backwards. So there's been four errors on this. You guys look together and try to yep. find it. Wow. Yeah. Number three, encourage them to fail in their endeavors. And the earlier the better and learn from it. Some of you listening are probably nodding your head or saying amen or something like that. We've got the earlier kids fail, the better. Why? Because so if you wait till you're 25 or 30 and you're failing for the first time, it's pretty traumatic. Yes. Number four, at least once daily, refuse to answer a student's question. Pregnant pause. That's why they're not going to like that. They at all. love that, right? Not so much. <laughs> yeah. So instead, encourage everyone in the class to look up the answers and see what they find. But you're making them dig, not yeah. you. You're not Siri. You're not Alexa at this yep. point. Number five, create student pods and have each pod teach part of the course to the others. So we know teachers, Andrew, that do this, and they'll be pods of four or five students, but they're small groups. You take section four, you guys take section five, you take section six, and you'll be teaching. You never learn more than when you have to communicate it to others. Mm. Number six, increase your experiential exams, enabling students to show and tell what they know. I love that. We're circling letters on a multiple choice test or writing it down. That's okay, yeah. but that's not life. Nobody's yeah. circling an answer on a test for their job. I haven't done that since I not, graduated since college. Yeah. That's exactly right, yeah. All right, number seven, create dis disequilibrium. That's a big 50-cent word, but you all know what disequilibrium is. This is the awkward period of silence between the time a problem is clear and a solution arises. Allow for discomfort and condition them to dig. Be okay with awkward silence. Number eight, reduce the number of multiple choice exams, like I just alluded to, and encourage students to describe answers themselves. Mm. They're, they're becoming more articulate and better at digging in their own brains. Number uh, nine, offer an exam. Oh, I love this one, if I do say so myself. Offer an exam with wrong answers on it, the very answers your students have given in class, and let them find the right ones. This is going to make them dig because you're doing it from the outside in. And then lastly, number 10, choose a day and let students plan the entire lesson for the class period. I love it. In fact, 
Let them record themselves teaching it and evaluating themselves afterwards. Was the content accurate? Was the delivery good? So those are 10 quick ideas to really help undo some of the errors we made and help students get on the path to be ready adults when it's time. I love that. Such practical ways. And we really need to kind of get started in these as quickly as possible. These things can even happen in a virtual classroom that you're in right yeah. now. And of course, the purpose behind it is very clear. Kids need the opportunity to develop their own ownership. They need the opportunity to develop uh, soft skills. They need the opportunity to develop critical thinking. They're learning social skills as they're having to work with their um, you know, colleagues of a sort to, uh, to figure out the answers to this. These are such important skills. By the way, the same very same skills that employers that we talk to are yeah. begging for, and we just aren't giving, we aren't, yeah. we aren't giving students those skills. Um, so this is why this is so important. Uh, the way we want to end is just to give a little bit of hope. And I know yeah. uh, we don't have a lot of time to go through this, but there are several schools, um, leaders that we have met who are seeing these mistakes and beginning to, uh, as I've been saying, uh, right the ship. They're beginning yeah. to head in a different direction. And I thought maybe we could just banter yeah. about a few of those examples. Absolutely. So Renetta Simpson has become a local hero of mine. She is a principal at uh, Paulding High School, and she was talking to uh, students in her high school and finding out what they felt like they weren't learning or weren't getting at their age in life, and they said, finances. They, she, they go, even though you have a finance class here, uh, Ms. Simpson, we, we don't feel like we understand money, and it's true. I feel that way. I could use a finance class, you know? <laughs> but um, what she did was extraordinary. Instead of just ask, adding more classes on money, to the course work, she gutted out a room, actually two rooms. One is still a class for money, but the other one is a bank. She started a bank on campus run by the students. I love she it. said a local credit union started coaching the, the adults and kids on how to run a bank, but there's tellers, there's marketers, there, there's kids, high school juniors and seniors, marketing to the other students to put their money in this bank. Renetta said, this is the principal, I put my money there. She said, they all know my salary because I give my paycheck twice a month. But I thought, what a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So another example, Andrew, is Gary Davison, also yes. in the metro Atlanta area. But I have such a great respect for Gary. But um, he noticed years ago in his high school that kids were just stressed out anxious and so and he said this was a high performing school but then he thought well maybe that's why they're so stressed. maybe that's their, the problem their yeah pressure is self-imposed you know, as well as parent imposed but um he started setting up an, a, a time during the day and an area of the school the media center that he allowed for students just to come to either relax or get coaching on a subject they're falling behind in. They can retake a test, they can restudy a subject, they can get, again, consulting with them, a teacher. But it was a, in fact, he divided lunch period into two periods now. So you still get lunch, but now you have this time. If you don't need help, you get to veg, listen to music, pet dogs. <laughs> or you can, you know, spend time in the media center and catch up. So you either get to catch up or just rest up. Yeah. And, and I love that. And again, it's just a good leader who said, this is the need of the day. Let's not keep perpetuating what we've done. Let's do something new. And that's a leader that's breaking a lot of the mistakes that we have yeah. uh, been yeah. talking about that so many schools are falling into a traditional approach on. Well, those are such fantastic examples. In fact, there's um, there's so many examples like that. In fact, you probably listening are, are right now thinking, yeah. oh, I know a teacher down the road who's mm -hmm. trying something new, or I know a principal down the road who started an innovative school or whatever it is. There are so many folks like this, and I think uh, we just want to continue to encourage those folks. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Look for the reason why we should make a change, not just yeah. following 
following tradition for tradition's yeah. sake. All of these examples that we have given are, are, are really positive ways that we can start to uh, make some of the changes that we need to make. Well, as you're thinking through uh, how to make adjustments in your own leadership, uh, we talked about the importance of developing soft skills, um, critical thinking, emotional intelligence, social intelligence. These things are so important for student success later on in life. And if you happen to be looking for a way to teach these things, you can also at the same time teach in an innovative way. In fact, um, the curriculum that we have that teaches social emotional learning, it's called Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning, uh, is a curriculum that actually utilizes uh, a descriptive style where we yeah. introduce a concept, but it's conversation-based, it's engagement-based, um, and it still works in a virtual classroom, which is really great. Habitudes for Social-Emotional Learning is going to cover all uh, five core competencies and 31 sub-competencies of social-emotional learning as outlined by Castle. It's a really fantastic course that we think students enjoy as well, but it uses our image-based learning system called Habitudes to teach these important soft skills that we think students desperately need. In fact, probably now more than ever yeah. do they need yeah, these skills. Yeah, for sure. If you want to find out more information about that, just go to growingleaders.com and click on Habitudes. You'll see Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. Uh, we really encourage you to check that out. Um, as always, if you would rate this podcast, uh, give us five stars. That get, helps get the word out about what we're doing here. It's really uh, actually quite helpful for us. In the same way, if you enjoyed this podcast and you think, uh, you're thinking of somebody who might enjoy it, I just want to encourage you to pass it along, share it with a friend. Uh, that can be one of the most helpful ways to kind of get the word out about what we're doing here as well. Uh, follow us on social media. We are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are, and we love connecting with you there. Uh, and then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, topics you want us to cover, uh, conversations you want us to have, or people you want us to interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. Tim, thank you so much for putting your finger on our culture and just helping us see some of these mistakes that we're making. And if you, uh, we want to thank you as well for listening, and we'll see you next time.